Chris, it's raining pretty hard here. Can, I know we're recording, obviously. Can you hear that in the background at all? No, not at all. If anything, it sounds like a really nice ambient white noise. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Well, other than the fact that I could hang meat in my office right now, um, it's so funny. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm going to do for lunch because I can't exactly walk anywhere. It is flooding outside. Isn't this why they make Uber Eats? It is, but it's like, who wants to spend $36 on a sub sandwich? Well, maybe you can go fishing. Maybe throw a, a fishing lure out the window. Well, I guess I'm down to whatever packs of like pistachios nobody wanted, like the chili flavored ones or something. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode 366. It's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Hey, Reed. Uh, you may be dealing with rain. I'm dealing with sub-zero temperatures here in Minnesota. Well, after your recommendation of Fargo, I think that was last week, I've started watching that and now that's just the inner monologue i have in my head as everybody sounds like that yes that's true that's true <laughs> anyway good times good times hey i felt a little better on the intro there uh, we're now into like the second episode of the new year yes back in the swing of things super thankful for for all of you for listening again hope 24 is off to a great start for everybody got a great episode today but before we get to that Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health, main reason to go there, TPS report. You'll notice it up in the top nav. Click on that name, email address. And what that does is that affords you one email each week, Monday mornings, five articles. And uh, hopefully that uh, turns out to be a little value, a little value add uh, as the listener. So we'll pause, give you a chance to go do that again, touchpoint.health. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. And then we'll be back with today's show. So, Reed, today's episode came from something that you mentioned at the end of last year. You actually threw it like an offhand comment. We were talking about disruption in our industry. And you actually asked, do you feel disrupted? 
And so today we're going to talk about disruption in healthcare. And I think it's appropriate as we look at 2024 because there's a lot of disruption happening in our industry. There is. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it certainly from a, from like the retail giants getting into the space. I think people think about that or maybe some technology or, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, there's a lot of ways I think people define uh, disruption or talk about disruption. So we outlined five different disruptive trends that we're seeing in the industry. And we're going to talk to them from our own personal experience and kind of give our backstory. But we also have some good articles that kind of reference some stats and other things that could help support this conversation. It's just you and I today, right? No no interviews today. So buckle in, listeners. We're going to have a really good conversation ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's jump in. I think this will be good. I, you know, I just I just mentioned one, which is technology, right? I think as a topic that uh, that may be one of the more common ways uh, that people talk about disruption, right? It's a different way people do things. So as we think about technology, obviously telemedicine or virtual care or the opportunity of that has been a big one. And then we've seen things like wearables, I think really start to make it more into the acute healthcare space. I think we've had it in the wellness space for a while, but wearables kind of, you know, kind of in our day to day, I guess, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Digital therapeutics is part of this as well, right? Everything that we, we kind of look at from a technology perspective, and you and I have our heads buried a little bit in the technology, really comes to light that there is a lot of disruption occurring because technology is advancing so quickly. We actually have a good article that kind of breaks down a little bit of the trends that we're seeing. Reed, you want to walk through it? Absolutely. So first one we'll talk to is a, an article from McKinsey. It's the 24 Healthcare Services Outlook, Challenges and Opportunities. So of course, no surprise, we're only minutes into this show and we are now mentioning generative AI. Yeah, <laughs> our favorite topic. Yes. But anyway, it, it, it certainly is one of those disruptive uh, mechanisms underneath the banner of technology. And we see that certainly in a number of different categories, whether that's you know simply things like content or we're seeing it inside the electronic health record. We've talked a little bit about some of the things that that Epic is doing around drafts and summaries and translation, you know, things like that. There's other types of technology changes that are occurring too, maybe not on the front end, data and analytics. Mm -hmm. It's an important piece here. And all the related infrastructure and governance, that's really starting to become a differentiator for those health systems that have an advanced data analytics structure, because of course you need those insights to power your technology solutions. You do. And, and again, they, they go on to talk quite a bit about, you know, we'll see a greater focus on these use cases. Um, so as you think about data, technology, certainly generative AI, what is that near-term value? I think we're getting into a year into 2024 where the novelty of it is going to go away. You, know, you take that Gartner hype cycle. And so maybe trying to get into kind of what the day-to-day practicality of some of these things are. So they call out some things like imaging, for example, or some productivity gains around you know, some of the technology will be kind of where we see the, the value. There's also an additional article that talks about some of the healthcare disruption we're going to be seeing from a technology perspective. And it actually quotes 
uh, leaders in healthcare across the industry. And there was one in particular, this is a Becker's article called The Healthcare Disruptors Expected to Make an Impact in 2024. One of the uh, leaders that was quoted in here is Sean Moroz, who's an orthopedic surgeon affiliated with Ascension Medical Group, Sacred Heart Bay Orthopedics in Florida. He said, in the, this is a quote, in the coming years, we're going to see an unprecedented technological evolution that will disrupt how we practice and deliver healthcare. It primarily will revolve around the increase in AI and the integration into every facet of patient care. So this is a big promise here, he's saying. He actually suggests that AI can streamline care by reducing physician administrative burden, improving diagnostic accuracy, eliminating redundancy and minimizing physician errors, and even introducing AI into the EMR will occur to kind of help support this overall change. So he really is doubling down on this fact that AI is going to transform every part of the patient care journey. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I can see that certainly. And like I just mentioned a second ago, some of the things that Epic's doing is what he's probably referring to, right? The administrative burden. Again, it's like, how do you get to the editing phase faster? I know that's an oversimplification, but as I think about like web content, it's similar, right? When patients are sending in-basket messages, questions, things like that. Well, how can it scan that, draft a response, and so the physician can read through their wordsmith it a little bit and send it back, then ultimately be more timely back to the consumer. Reducing errors, uh, the diagnostic accuracy, I think that's interesting. And again, well, you know, we're never moving completely away from the, the the level of human interaction that's needed, but hopefully able to, to streamline it to their point. So I do see that, and I think we'll continue to see the value increase there. Don't forget, telemedicine is still a player here, particularly sure. when you talk about remote care. We don't want to forget that. Maybe the bubble has burst, right? But it's still there as a technology solution to transform and disrupt our industry. Remote patient monitoring, some of the stuff you guys are doing in Ireland, right, around virtual virtual nursing is big. And digital therapeutics is a huge one. In fact, we probably should do a whole episode on digital therapeutics, Reed, in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So there's a lot of technology disruption happening. And you're right. When we talk about disruption, sometimes that's the number one place people turn to. But there is other disruption happening as well, right, Reed? There is. The second thing we'll touch on is uh, the shift or at least the heightened focus on more of the consumer-centric model or or way of the world. Again, this is something that I spend my days thinking about. If we think about moving to be more patient or consumer-centered, consumerism, you know, uh, these different terms, but kind of this move to being more centric to them versus the hospital or the location or the service or what have you, that drives down this idea of experience. We've talked about patient experience for years. It was pretty inpatient focused the way that we thought about it. Then it extended a little bit to like appointment reminders and you know driving directions and where to park and some of the things, but it was still about you coming to a location, a brick and mortar location, and then the experience you had there. And we talked about like discharge phone calls and readmissions and some of that, right? But it was kind of all centered around this idea of a visit to a location that's the biggest philosophical shift here is that, you know, obviously we just talked about technology, but with the virtual opportunities that exist, 
Maybe they don't ever come to a location. I, I don't know. That's kind of a big, a big disruptive change, right, to our model. We have seen over the last couple of years a move to a more of an outpatient model, mm-hmm. getting away from having people, you know, admitted to a hospital or an urgent care center or whatever. But in this particular case, now we're even going further to say preventative care, wellness programs, a lot of other ways that we're engaging and maybe helping to meet the consumer with their care needs where they are. So let's take a brief pause, Rita. We'll come back. We'll dive into a couple articles that get into this consumer-centric model. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front-row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so talking a little bit more about being consumer-centric, one of the articles we're looking at here from McKinsey, Driving Growth Through Consumer Centricity in Healthcare. And so they start out by talking about the fact that 90% of those that they surveyed, providers, executives, et cetera, and 100% of chief marketing officers identified consumerism as a top priority. It's not like it's a marketing thing is the point here. I think people are starting to understand the nature of who it is that they're dealing with and what they want, the expectations and some of those types of things. And, um, and so they talk in here about looking at like those retail giants and other technology providers and what they're doing. Right. So it's like you, you run the risk of like, are we playing, trying to play catch up or are we trying to emulate what somebody else is doing? I'm not sure there's a right or wrong answer there necessarily. Every organization is a little bit different. Um, but you know, I think people are starting to wake up to this idea that it's not all about, the inpatient environment. Yeah, and this article that we're referring to from McKenzie, we actually referenced it a couple of episodes ago as well. It's a really interesting article. It goes into the different types of ways that consumers are finding dissatisfaction with the current care experience. But I think the important piece that we're bringing forward here is that this blurring the lines, right, of a provider, a retailer, and even a payer is going to be a way that we're going to start to address this consumer-centric aspect of healthcare, which leads us to a follow-up article that we're going to reference. And by the way, if you're following along here, a lot of articles we're referencing that have a lot more detail than what Reed and I are covering today, check our show notes. But this one is from Fierce Healthcare. It's called the 2024 Outlook, and talking about blurring the lines as providers, retailers, and payers by plotting a new primary care play. Mm. So let's look at primary care. I think it's a great opportunity to look how we can start to be more consumer-centric. There is, in this article, there is a, 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 a forester analyst, principal analyst, Ariel Trzinski, I think is her name. And she said that providers have to figure out a way of not only delivering convenience to reduce friction, 
So all the things that we talked about with the online appointment scheduling and appointment reminders, all of that other stuff, virtual care offerings, but offer a greater experience that ultimately delivers better outcomes. It's also about finding ways of engaging with people outside of the medical episode. So this is how she sees primary care shifting. She went even further, right, Reed? She talks in here about the fact that it's you know something that they continue to hear from many health systems and even insurers to try to figure out you know how can they make themselves top of mind outside of when you're just sick right we've talked about this move from sick care to well care and that's that's kind of what you know we're talking about here how do you become top of mind certainly I think people you know may think about their primary care physician from a wellness perspective as it looks at like you know you know, annual exams or, or something like that, but probably not much more. What is that next best action? Well, how should you be thinking about PCP and then certainly couple in or layer in the technology piece and it becomes just a very different world? It really does. And primary care is like the closest to a retail care experience that we can equate to in healthcare. And mm-hmm. not coincidentally, that's where we're seeing a lot of the disruptors. Now we're going to mention the other thing when you talk about disruption in healthcare, some of those names, right? Amazon, their recent acquisition of One Medical, CVS buying Oak Street Health, Walmart opening their health centers, Optum Health, United Health Group doing a lot of MA activity. The whole point here is. They see that as our friend of the show, Chris Bevelo, calls it the funnel wars, right? They see the top funnel of healthcare being primary care, tip of the spear stuff, mm-hmm. as being great opportunity to start building a relationship with person. Uh, this article goes into a couple of our, uh, couple of examples. I think you certainly have to read through this if you're interested in how primary care is changing. But I'm not surprised this is where we're going to see a lot of disruption this year and probably into the next year. Hundred percent. Next thing on the list: regulatory changes. Everybody's favorite. Oh boy! Everybody's favorite. Talk about VR and policy and regulatory impact, but it's real. I mean, we continue to see. We talked about the OCR rulings and things like that. So there are rules and laws and guidance and things like that that come out over time that impact the way that we do our jobs. And let's be clear, Reed, you and I don't really spend a lot of our time calling through regulatory changes no. in healthcare, right? No, no. But there are other experts in the field that can talk to this a little bit differently. There are changes going on regarding drug pricing, healthcare insurance, etc. Let's outline a couple of these. We found in an article from Healthcare Finance, Moody's upgrades healthcare outlook from negative to stable for 2024. That's a good sign, by the way right? Yeah. yeah. It's just funny. Negative to stable. Yeah. Anyway. So yes, go ahead. Sorry. I I, I think it's, I think that's true though. Right. So here are a couple of examples. We'll just kind of talk about the first is around contract labor. We know how that the alternatives to expensive contract labor, think traveling nurses, that sort of thing. There's a modest rebound in patient volumes and higher reimbursement rates that are going to be, they believe will offset those expensive contract labor amounts. So now that's not regulatory nature, but that's going to help the overall healthcare industry. But let's get into other things that could potentially factor a financial recovery. Yeah, I mean, obviously that that helps, right? And, and Moody's is saying that they're seeing these signals, if you will, for financial recovery and an uptick in you know some cash flow margins at things like that. They do, however, say that you know these reimbursement rates from insurers rising, or you know, 
Yes, good, but doesn't fully offset the expenses, you know, related to inflation, right? So I guess that's why we only get to stable. It's going to be kind of mid single digit, they say, percentage range on kind of where that that reimbursement rate kind of bumps up to. Yeah, they're expecting like median operating revenue growth to be in the four to six percent range in twenty twenty four. That's what Moody's predicting. But it's really related to operating cash flow margins that are will allow hospitals to make some of those needed investments in their facilities, things that they've been struggling with right now. Because I know many health systems are really trying to determine where their capital expenses should be for this year. A lot of this is driven by changes in reimbursement rates that's being regulated, but also there's an increase in state financial backing and even FEMA funds that are going to aid some healthcare providers' financial turnaround for 2024. That coupled with some of the overall changes with drug pricing, healthcare insurance, etc., all of those things still show a huge trend of regulatory and policy changes impacting our industry. Yeah. Let's do this, Reed. Let's take a pause, and then we'll come back and we'll kind of round out the, uh, the top five that we feel are disruptive in our space. We'll do that right after this break. So last couple on the list, Chris, the next one, I know I'm an expert uh, in <laughs> is, uh, value-based care. You know, you talk about like managed populations. We talked about wellness earlier, ACO models, things like that. But is this idea of shifting from fee-for-service to fee-for-performance, if you will, or this value-based proposition? What we're looking at is realistically how most of us who have been paid for every encounter are moving to this idea that it's like, hey, how are you managing these populations? Which may mean that they don't come in. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a little different. Well, a lot different, I guess. And has been something that I think a lot of healthcare organizations have started to try to figure out. And it may be a small population that they're managing or something like that, but it's not this isn't new, like it's not net new necessarily, but it's just as every day, every week, month, year goes by, you know, we're trending in this direction. So it just becomes a bigger piece of the pie, I guess, maybe. Yeah, it does. And again, remember, value-based care is around the concept of improving patient quality while reducing healthcare costs, right? It's fundamentally a complete shift in the business model of how we do care in health systems. So McKenzie has an article called Healthcare's Next Chapter, What's Ahead for the U.S. Healthcare Industry. And by the way, there are plenty of articles about value-based care. Again, we're not really in-depth experts on this, but this is an interesting pull from the article. As pressure from rising medical and prescription costs mount, scaling proven physician partnership models for example, primary care-centered value-based care, as well as innovating new ones like specialty benefit management and specialty value-based care is going to grow importance in 24. Enhanced health outcomes and members' care experience prompted by incentives in the government programs and, and also rising demand from employers will ultimately be important priorities. And I think that many CFOs and chief strategy officers across the systems in the U.S., are now looking at pragmatic ways of how VBC, value-based care, can start to be implemented in their day-to-day uh, operations, right? I, this is no longer something that's going to come. It's here. I mean, I don't know how it's not. How important is it to your organization, meaning like how much time are you spending on it on a daily basis? A little bit of a sliding scale, maybe. And we'll continue to slide in that direction over time. But it is certainly here in the sense of like, you can't just 
not do anything about this. Well, again, value-based care, enough to fill a whole podcast episode. We won't go further into it today. The last is where we kind of started the, the this list of five. The first, technology disruption, we all know about. The last is about consolidation and new entrance into the market. When you talk about disruption, a lot of people talk think about one and five on our list. We have a couple others as special bonuses of disruption. Uh, but let's get into consolidation and new market entrance. You mentioned a few of them earlier. The one medical piece, you know, talk about Village Summit, Oak Street, etc. But I think you'll continue to see that M&A activity, certainly. And then you'll also see folks figuring out how to get in to complementary streams or businesses. And so that's where we've seen like CVS, Walgreens, you mentioned Walmart earlier, et cetera, having more access points, I guess. Back to the very first part, you know, what does technology mean to this part of the business? That's where a lot of disruption is coming in, certainly. This this is an interesting one for this year, for sure. Well, let's not leave out the fact, too, that there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions happening within health systems. Deloitte has an article that we referenced in the show notes here. A tough 2024 is on the horizon. Here's how Deloitte says healthcare leaders should prepare. And they start off by saying the recent return to health system deal-making is unlikely to go away this year. 88% of Deloitte's polled health system executives suggest that partnerships, mergers, and acquisitions have a moderate impact on their 2024 strategy. Of course, a lot of that could be non-traditional industry disruptors and innovators that are making deals. But the authors of this Deloitte study that's referenced in the article says this could help legacy health systems transcend from business as usual to groundbreaking business models and offerings that meet rapidly changing consumer expectations. It's kind of the panacea of everything is how do we tie together the right structure to support this. Yeah, because I mean, again, if you look at like who employs the most doctors, you're going to come up with an answer like Optum or something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, it's getting harder and harder for community hospitals to exist, like just financially, right? And so that's where some of the regulatory piece comes in. That's where some of we're seeing some of the M&A activity come in. And then you you kind of overlay that like you're talking about and like we've mentioned here with the non-traditional disruptors, as well as the technology piece to think about, you know, what does this mean? It's not just about inpatient census and surgeries and, and things like that. That's right. And there's a lot of cleanup that has to happen in the technology investment of an organization, the operational investment a health system has. And so there's a lot of work being done to rise up to this disruptive shift that's going on. It's not lost to us, Reed, that while they're looking to shift the old model, they're introducing new, new technologies, again, like AI, into this at the same time. It's really developing a, a, a pathway to bridge from the old to the new and do it in a way that's long-term and sustaining. I think there's a lot of people that are concerned that generative AI rapid adoption in healthcare is a fad, right? It's like the Gartner hype cycle that will mm-hmm. be introduced and then drop away a lot like telemedicine has. And in this particular case, Deloitte's consultants really called for industry leaders to look at a maturity model within their technology and footprint to mm-hmm. embrace this adoption of new mergers, acquisitions, new technologies, and new partnerships outside of the health system. That's how 
I think you and I feel this industry is being disrupted. 100%. And I mean, we see a lot of this stuff. It's not succinctly in these categories. There's a lot of different pieces. You look at new entrants. Well, that's also maybe technology or consolidation may have a lot to do with things like regulatory changes or new entrants being around the idea of consumer-centric models. And so it's not a super clean succinct, you know, uh, there could be one person that fall, you know, that, that's disrupting the industry that you could say are in three or four of these categories. Yeah, absolutely. Let's end with one disruptor that I don't think it's a lot of airplay, but I have been watching and, and reading this from a personal level, watching how federal regulations are starting to look at pharmaceutical prescriptions and PBMs, right? Pharmaceutical yep. benefit managers to try to make a better marketplace. And I've, I say personal because the first step was towards lowering the, the cost of insulin. Now there's a new focus on inhalers and treating asthmatics, right? The, all the medication around asthmatics. Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs is one that's called out in an article, a Becker's article in our show notes. Nadim Gorea, who's the chair of Department of Medicine at Bakersfield Memorial Hospital, says the new fixed profit pharmacy companies like Cost Plus Drugs by Mark Cuban is the tip of a very large iceberg. And hopefully new startups will spring out of this. Pharmacies are places patients are being taken advantage of in the broad daylight. And as Americans, we accept it as normal, and it's clearly not normal. What they're here saying is all of the five trends that we talked about are being evident in this area around lowering the cost of prescription pharmaceuticals, eliminating the PBMs in many cases from the entire network, and going direct to consumer. And I think that that is... Some of the things that we're seeing from the pharma companies, from health systems, from everyone across the spectrum, this is a true epitome of what uh, consolidation and disruption is. It's an interesting place, man. I mean, there's just a lot happening, and I think it's hard to kind of make it through a day without a number of these topics making it across your desk, right? And it's impacting what it is that we're trying to do on a daily basis, but I think that's where the opportunity exists too. You know, I mean, if you keep doing the same thing the same way, then yeah, you're probably not going to love some of this stuff. But if you've got an opportunity to think about the world a little differently and and focus and participate in new and different ways, then this should be exciting in a lot of in a lot of cases. It really should be. Okay, well, with that, let's pause briefly, and then we'll come back to close out the show. All right, Chris. Well, wrapping up the show, here we are, mid-January, I guess, 2024, and uh, it's good times. So excited about the disruption that we're seeing. I think that does give us an opportunity to participate in a new way, And but we'd love to hear from others. We'd love to hear kind of what you guys are seeing, what you're dealing with as you're you know making it into the new year and plans and you know, all that kind of fun stuff. So reach out to us. LinkedIn is probably the best way to track us down. Tell folks about the podcast and rate and review and subscribe and all that kind of fun stuff. That's a great way that you can continue to help us out. Uh, but before we uh, get out of here, uh, maybe a couple of recommendations. Yes. Okay, Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I just started. And it was actually originally recommended to me from a different podcast. So I hopefully that 
plays within our rules of recommendations. I listened to another podcast, which I've recommended on the show before, 99% Invisible, which is a technology design podcast. It's really interesting. A lot of different types of uh, flavors it takes, but they're rooted in architecture and city planning and things like that. An episode they released in early December actually referenced a book that they're going to read in the upcoming year. It's kind of a recommendation that they're going to read. And they said this book is, uh, this is one of the, the, the most influential books that the host has ever read. It's actually called The Power Broker, about Robert Moses and the fall of New York. It's a biography about Robert Moses, who is an urban planner in the 1930s through like the 70s. And he did a lot of public works in New York, like implementing city parks and tearing down neighborhoods and running highways through them and creating all the different bridges around New York. Now, I lived in New York for a while, and I kind of fell in love with the architecture and all that because I... Way back when, I wanted to be an architect, so it kind of it's my one of my early interests in life. So I said, you know what, I'm going to read the book along with the podcast. They promised to do like sort of a a book club version of their podcast to support this. So you read a couple pages and then they'll check in, whatever. I added it to my Christmas list and I got it. I didn't realize it's 1,200 pages long. <laughs> Yeah, well, settle in. <laughs> exactly. Settle in. And I'm like, okay. And so every episode they're going to do covers about 100 pages. So they're going to do one a month for the year of 2024. So that means I am on the hook to read 100 pages a month of this book. Well, what's great is it's, you know, we're recording this in the middle of January. I'm already well on the way there. It's a great book. It's actually really interesting. It was written in 1974. Okay. It's a biography, a nonfiction biography, but the guy who wrote it, Robert Caro, he is a brilliant writer and it's really interesting. It's almost as good as like watching uh, you know, a, a period piece story on Netflix or something. Like if you're watching mm-hmm. The Gilded Age or you're watching, you know, uh The Crown or something like that. He writes a really good narrative. It's very long form, of course. Uh, it took me a couple of pages to get used to his rhythm and his pattern. But I'm telling you, every night I sit down, I read at least 10 to 15 pages of the book before I go to bed. It's a great book. And so I'm going to recommend it to people. Uh, If you're interested in urban planning, if you're interested in architecture, if you just like reading books and you're okay to get into the long haul here, right? The Power Broker by Robert Caro. It's really good. I will tell you, it's a heavy book. It's big. It's thick. I don't think I'm going to take it on a plane if I go travel places because it's really heavy. But it's a great book. That's my recommendation. Well, there you go. Nice. I, you know, I'm going to actually do a podcast as well. Uh, if people like true crime and you know that kind of stuff, we've probably recommended this before. But there's a new season. So, Doctor Death. Oh yeah. So season one, I believe, was uh, the neurosurgeon. Right, about a neurosurgeon out of Dallas. Kind of interesting or whatever. Anyway, season four is out. I haven't gotten very far into it. But again, I, I don't know if it's good or bad that we work in this industry, if you want to listen to this or not listen to this. But uh, but anyway, it's well done, well produced. Wondery uh, is the network that does it. They do a great job with all their shows. But uh, the new season of Dr. Death would be uh, my recommendation. That's great. And I will say this, that season two... 
of Dr. Death is now a peacock docudrama or something like okay. that. And it's really good. This is one about the, the guy who uh, did the trachea transplants. Oh, right. Yes. That's out, too. So if you like Dr. Death, you can get it in multiple different formats now, right? Watch it on Peacock. But the podcast is really good. I'm gonna, I am gonna—I didn't realize Season 4 is out. I'm going to go check it out. Season 4 is out. So there you go. Great recommendation. All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, another week in the books. Appreciate all the feedback and the nice notes as we start the new year. Uh, looking forward to seeing folks at some of the industry conferences. We'll talk a little bit more about that as closer they get. Obviously, uh, there's a fair amount kind of in the spring, kind of early summer time frame. And then again, in the fall, that seem to be uh, usual suspects that we run into folks at. So looking forward to that this year. I'd love to know kind of your goals, where you're focused. Uh, again, reach out. Uh, we'd always love to have a conversation. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.